Hi, my name is Susan, I guess, well, uh, and I have the privilege of reading the sermon scripture today, which is the scripture for the whole series uh, from of Luke chapter 1, verses 46 to 55. Mary's song of praise, the Magnificat. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts, of the, the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. This is God's word. <clears throat> well, Happy New Year, Solano. I, uh, <clears throat> I must confess that, can you bring up my water? I must confess that um, I had a little grumbling in my spirit that both Christmas Day and New Year's Day fell on a Sunday. Because, you know, for, for some of us it meant coming to church and having to work. Um, but each time I have been, I would say, lovingly rebuked by the Lord with joy because of how much I've enjoyed being with God's people on those precious days. And uh, yes, we were up till midnight last night, tried to go to bed at 10, couldn't sleep, midnight fireworks. And, um, and so, yeah, feeling a little tired this morning, but seeing you guys here today, thinking of what God is, has in store for us for 2023 has definitely filled me with, this, with that sense of joy. And, and actually, I can't think of a better way to bring in the new year than being with God's people and worshiping him. Uh, and you know, so today we're going to continue in our series. This is our last sermon on our Advent series called Our Help. And we're going to be looking at how Mary looks at God as the helper of Israel. Let me just read this verse, um, and you could put up the slide uh, where she says at the end, He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, and he has spoke as he has spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. So notice how... Um, she refers to Israel as, refers to God as the helper of Israel. So this is the theme I want us to be thinking about coming into the new year. Is God as your helper? God as your helper. <clears throat> I was watching um, one of the new movies that came out this year was the movie Spirited. Uh, and it was a remake of the, of the story, uh, the Dickens story, A Christmas Carol, Ebenezer Scrooge, right? And it reminded me that they remade that movie, how enduring that story is. And so one of the authors of the Advent devotionals that we handed out made this observation about why, the Christmas, why A Christmas Carol is such an enduring story. <clears throat> he says... Um, 
The Dickens story tells us one of our most deeply held beliefs about ourselves, that deep down, even the ugliest of people can become generous givers. And so I think there's a longing and there's a hope that all humanity has that the worst things about us when we're, when we're turned inward and we're selfish, that we can be transformed into generous, loving people. So we celebrate the, 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 we love that story of, you know, someone who was so selfish, they were then transformed into a generous person. We love to see that story. And of course, even in a Dickin, the Dickens story, it requires outside intervention, miraculous intervention for someone to be transformed. Um, so the reason why we love that story, and I wish we, we, you know, this is the church's job is to convince the culture to say that story is true in Jesus Christ. He is the one that it intervenes in our lives to transform us. But the author, um, William Willimon, as he's describing the Dickens story, he actually makes another good observation. He says the Dickens story gets the Christmas story wrong a little bit, right? The, Chris, the Dickens story is about how we can become superheroic givers, but that's not the Christmas story. The Christmas story is not that we become uh, generous people, but that God is a generous giver, that God is the one who is the super heroic giver. And crucially, we must be receivers. And so the problem with the Dickens story and the problem with Christmas is all about us giving, but actually the real heart of the Christmas story is that we are people in need of God's grace. We are people in need of God's help and we must be people who receive it But the problem with grace, the problem with the idea that we need God's grace is that God's grace means we are undeserving, right? So that's offensive. But actually, here's what's probably even more difficult than that. God's, the fact that we need God's grace means we are helpless. We need, it's a rescuing grace. We do not like to be people who think we need to be rescued. We don't like to be in that position. Let me just ask you, would you rather be someone who gives help to somebody or receives help? Which one do you feel more comfortable? Well, if you're anything close to me, you want to give help. I do not like to ask for help. This is very difficult for me. Why? Why is that hard for us? Because when you give help, you're the strong one. You're the one with the knowledge and the abilities and the resources. You're like, sure, I'll help you. It kind of makes you feel good about yourself. But to say, I need help, that means you're weak in some way. You're powerless in some way. You're vulnerable in some way. We don't like to be in that position. But here's the thing. You can't know God. You can't know the power of God unless you see how helpless you really are. And so to quote Oscar Romero, a Southern American archbishop, he said, without poverty of spirit, there can be no abundance of God. And so, excuse me. So what Mary is singing about at the end of her song is that Israel is in a position of having poverty of spirit. They are helpless. They are stuck. They are not doing well. And that's when God rescued them. 
And so our fundamental posture towards God is not what we do for God, but what we need to receive from him. So I want to talk about that. I want to talk about how we need to get ourselves in a posture of receiving from God and how we can know we will receive help from God, how we can be assured of God's help. So I want to start by asking this question. What is the goal of the Christian life? If you were to think about that, what is, what is, and let's, let's answer that from the right point of view, um, what is God's goal for us as Christians? What is God up to in your life? I want you to think about that. I think the answer is stated very clearly in Romans 8, 28, a powerful passage worth reading. In verse 28, it says, and we know that for those who love God, who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. So we're seeing God is working all things for the good of his people who love him according to he's got purposes for us. What is that purpose? Verse 29, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined, those are big words of purpose, to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. So the answer is, what is, what is the goal of the Christian life? God's goal is he's making a family who share his DNA. Not to be physically like him, but to be spiritually like him in his image. And Jesus is the golden child that he wants us all to be like. And he brings us into our family so that we would be like Jesus. But what does that mean? What does it mean to be like Jesus? How would you answer that question? What does it mean to be more like Christ? And I think we might typically point to being more loving, being more patient, more giving, maybe more obedient. But I'm going to argue there's actually something before all those things. Those are not the most important way that we need to be conformed to the image of Christ. There is a, there's something must come before that. There's something God is doing to transform you into the image of Jesus that is the most fundamental way that you can ever be like Jesus in this life. And I think the Christmas story, the story of Advent is meant to get at that. We're gonna see this in Psalm 22. I don't have a slide for this, just listen along. This is the Psalm, one of the most power, oh, I do have a slide, yay. Um, <clears throat> This is one of the most powerful psalms that are prophetically about Jesus. He quotes this psalm when he's on the cross. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And listen to this, listen to what this says. Yet you, God, are he who took me, this is prophetic, Jesus from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breasts. On you was I cast from my birth. And from my mother's womb, you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near and there is none to help. This is voicing the experience of the Messiah. What is this a picture of? What quality does the Messiah have here? What was the whole point of his birth? What did God do to Jesus and making him be born? He is utterly dependent on God. That is the 
quality of the Messiah that God is causing us to be conformed to, that we would be people utterly dependent on him, right? And so think about, not only was he a baby, I mean, the fact that God was born as a baby is expressing the complete vulnerability and helplessness of the child Messiah. I mean, it even says that he was wrapped in swaddling cloths twice. It makes that point. And I was thinking about why you wrap a baby in swaddling cloths because they feel so um, insecure unless they're wrapped up. I mean, it's the amount of vulnerability that the Gospels are communicating to us about Jesus' condition. It's clearly the, the accent, the main point of it. And so what is God doing with us to make us more like Christ? Is teaching us to be more dependent on him. Um, and so to be a people who receive from God, we must be a people who become utterly dependent on God for help. That is the work of God's grace in our life to make us like that. The amount of God's grace at work in your life is 100% a derivative of your posture of dependence on him. But we're not good at seeing our need for help. We're not good at being naturally 100% dependent on anything other than ourselves. And so God has a way with dealing with that stubbornness in us and it's, it's trials. And so that's why the Bible makes such a big deal of sufferings and trials. In fact, the Bible says, count it pure joy. Because what God is doing is he's ripping out self-dependence and cultivating God's dependence so that it's his strength and his grace that is work in our life, not our own. So we can apply this in a few areas. I, I will say there's basically two kinds of trials. We, you, there's different ways to, to break up trials. There's basically two kinds. One is kind of, I'll call them material trials. They're external trials. Health, relationship, finances. These are things that come upon you and cause, yes, they cause internal trials, but they're, they're from the outside. And so there's nothing that can shake our self-dependence like being thrust into situations we can't control, we don't know how to get out of, and we don't know how it will end. And so we cry out for help. You know, I was thinking about 2023, I was thinking about what I was thankful for in 2022, and um, I actually almost forgot about this because it happened early in the year, but actually, um, Miguel, you mentioned it in our prayer time earlier, we sold the RV, this last year. Did you, didn't you say that? Yeah, you were good memory. Now, the reason why this was a huge trial was because if you guys, know, I'm not sure how much you remember, I've shared this in bits and pieces, but in 2020, Jamie and I decided to do this kind of crazy thing where we bought this RV and we traveled the, the country for a year. But it was, it was 100%, the, the whole plan was predicated on being able to sell the RV and recoup our money. That was the whole plan. So two things happened when we got here that it looked like that plan was about to be ruined. The first thing was my truck got stolen. You may remember that. I could not tow my RV anymore. It was stuck in the storage um, unit, which you can't show people. When you're trying to sell it, you can't store, show them the RV in 
the storage because you can't plug it in. You can't open up the slides. You guys don't know how RVs work. You can't open up the slides and you can't, you can't put the air condition on. You can't show how it works. So I'm like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? And then we find out the, the, one, the one savior, our one savior was you can call places that sell RVs. They will buy your RV for cash, take it themselves, and then you're done with it. They, they sell it on their own lot. And that would, have, that would have recouped us some money. We wouldn't have gotten retail price for it, but at least we would have gotten off our ledger, gotten some cash for it. We were dropping $500 a month on this RV just to have it. But then we found out because we painted the interior of it, they would not take it. We thought we were upgrading the RV by painting it. And it turns out, um, when, when we found that out, Jamie and I, we freaked out. We kind of had a freak out moment. We're thinking we're stuck with this RV for 10 years. We're can't, I can't drive it. I can't tow it. And, you know, we're, we're dumping money into this. And we felt, like, we, we felt like idiots. Like we had painted it and we were ignorant of what that would do to its resale value. We, it, was, it was a brutal moment, so all we could do at that moment, I've never, that was one of the moments we were like, Lord, we just turned to God. I mean, we had kind of prayed about it, like, all right, help us sell this, but we thought it would not be a big deal. Now we're desperate. Now we feel stuck. Can't tow it, it's painted, and what ended up happening, long story short, there was one buyer. This was the exact RV they wanted, and they bought it at retail price. And so we got way more money. Anyways, God provided. The point being this, that material trials like that, there's one main thing God is doing in your life when you encounter these trials, is he's teaching you the fruit of depending on him. But I would argue material trials even have a deeper meaning. God is actually showing you something more important than just to depend on him for that trial. I think material trials are a parable of your spiritual condition. When, when Jamie and I are stuck with this RV and this huge 43-foot monstrosity, and I don't know what to do with it, that's God saying, this is like your spiritual life. This is like what it's like for you to bear fruit for me apart from me. You are that helpless. And so where we really have to absorb the truth of our dependence on God is in our spiritual life, our spiritual trials. So our spiritual trials are our growth in Christ, our righteousness, our Christ-likeness. You see, when you become a Christian, you are thrust into this um, precarious position where you are now called to bring your life into conformity to God's will. Jesus says, if you look at a woman with lustful intention, you've committed adultery. He gets right down to your very thought life. Now needs to be holy. That's a trial for the rest of your life. To follow Jesus Christ. And so Christians, we fall off, we fall off, the, what's that, what's that phrase? We fall off the horse, the bike, whatever. Yeah, don't fall off an RV. Um, we, we fall off the horse in so many ways on this. We despair, 
We despair of trying to follow Jesus. It's too hard. We become prideful in our own view of our own willpower to be righteous and to be disciplined, right? Um, we, we, we're, we, we live in shame of our failures. This is a huge struggle. Um, and so I want us to see, though, how utterly dependent we are on Christ to do anything spiritual. And Miguel hit on this passage for us already, but it's in John 15, 5. It says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You have no resources in and of yourself to accomplish any of your spiritual growth. Your obedience, your Bible reading, your love, your, your uh, uh, resistance to sin, none of that you can accomplish on your own. I have here a branch. I want to just drive this home for you. This is Jesus saying, look, you see this branch? It was off our lemon tree. Your ability to grow spiritually, to do anything for God in obedience or to avoid disobedience is like this branch right there on this wooden table trying to bear fruit. I want you to look at this. This is you trying to follow Jesus and not being dependent on him. This is your ability to grow a lemon. Just this branch sitting right here. Completely, completely helpless. Completely dependent on God. And so the... the what we have to do then, when we're trusting in God, when we're struggling in our spiritual trials, is we have to go to Jesus. We have to learn to depend on him. And so here's how I would say it. Our, our, in our spiritual growth, all, area, all areas of struggle are first and foremost before anything else, an opportunity to learn to depend on God. And that posture alone is a beautiful fruit. Where are you struggling to follow Jesus? I want you to think about what it's like to be in a trial of finances or relationships or like I was saying, being stuck in the, with this RV. That is your ability to grow. And so you have only one provision is to go to Jesus and say, I cannot do any of this without you working in my life. I can't accomplish any of this. I can't repent of any of this without coming to you, without you working in my life. I am utterly dependent on you. Dependence is the fruit that God is looking for in your life. So the question may be from here, what if I continue to struggle with sin though? Like, I'm, I'm supposed to be dependent, but is there actual transformation that's going to happen? And yes, there will be. Yes, as we confess sin, as we go and abide in God, we're going to see our lives transform. But the problem is, is that we're going to continue to struggle in this life. We're going to continue to struggle to see as much fruit as we would like. And so the Bible's answer to that, in a nutshell, is to say that God, the way you need to de be dependent on God is not just for your transformation, but for consummation. What I mean by that is we're depending on God to come and take away sin once and for all. 
And so scripture says he has subjected this world to futility, including us, which means we will always have struggles in, the, in this life. So we must offer a form of worship to God. This is a form of dependence on God. It's the, it's the worship of groaning. It's the worship of lament, but with hope. It's the worship that God, Lord, Lord, this world is hard. This body of mine is broken. Only you can come and take away sin. We must give that witness to this world. And we must be dependent on God in that way. But I think that our own struggles, our own um, walk with God is in some ways also a metaphor for the church. Because if we each need to be dependent on God, and we each have areas where we're, we're seeing God work and we're excited, but then we have areas we feel stuck and we're struggling and there's not so good, um, that's a metaphor for the church. And so um, I want us to draw our attention, though, to how Mary, in her song, she's not just talking about herself. She's saying, you have been Israel's help. She is connecting herself to the larger story of what God is doing with God's people. And she is seeing that as God helps and saves Israel, that's her help as well. So we need to have that same mindset that just as we would have compassion for all of our human struggles, we can tend to not have compassion on the church for its struggles. Am I right? With each other and ourselves, we can go, yeah, that's human. But with the church, we can get very critical of it. And we can become very uh, kind of angry and disillusioned with it. But we have to remember that the church, too, has its struggles. And we must, and so the church must also learn to um, trust and depend on God together. Right? And so I want you to think about it. I want to give you freedom right now to think about Solano Church. Where do we need help as a church? And instead of letting that, letting that be kind of a criticism, let it be an opportunity to depend on God. That's why I want you to think about it. I actually like it when church members have areas that they're looking at the church and they're seeing problems as long as they want to see God move in it and not just complain. I want there to be a hunger and a thirst in all of our lives, not only for our own growth in Christ, but for the church's growth. But that only happens when we, when we go to God in dependence on him. Not with our own our own strength and our own abilities and our own prideful efforts and our own resources, it is, must be 100% dependent on God. So where do you see that Solano needs help? I'll name a few. We need financial provision. I just got word that our roof, roof is leaking again. We're gonna need to replace that thing. We're gonna need financial provision. We need help discerning God's leading and our vision for reaching the East Bay in the next five to 10 years. We're going to be needing to talk through controversial topics like racism and sex and sexuality and gender roles in the church because those are, talked, those are going to be coming up in the next year and in 1 Corinthians. We're going to need help talking about those and staying united as a church. 
Uh, recently, uh, a member talked to me about the idea of seeing revival happen. That's not a word that I've used in a long time. Are we still a church that's trusting God to see not just a, 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 a sprinkling of people come to Christ, but what if we saw a revival? What if God broke through and we began to see people lining up to be saved? Could that happen in the East Bay? Can we believe that? Well, we're going to need God to move. We're going to need dependent on him to see that fruit. So each of you probably has your own list. Good. Write it down. But let me read this. This is how we need to approach it, though. In our church's growth journey, all areas of struggle are first and foremost, before anything else, an opportunity to depend on God together. And that posture as a church is a beautiful fruit. So I hope that can sink in. Where are you struggling? Material trials, spiritual trials, church trials. You know the first thing God is calling you to before fixing it and before seeing you, before that struggle goes away is take on the posture of dependence. Lord, only you could change this. Only you could deal with this. And you know what that might mean? You deal with it when you come again. Maybe you'll deal with it in this life. But if he doesn't, he's keeping you depending on him all the way to the end. That only Jesus can take away the pain of this life and the problems of this life. And we hope and long for that. So, but we need to go on more than just our need for help. That is our need. But what is the basis for knowing that God will help us? So we have to believe in the basis. I want to go back to Mary's song here and just see this. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Mary recognizes that the coming of Jesus as God's help to Israel, she recognizes it as her help, but look at what she bases it on. Not Israel's deservingness, not their reciprocity, it's not about their attributes at all. It's based on that they belong to God. They are God's people. That means God's character and promises are on the line. And so God's commitment to bring help to his people is based 100% on his character and his promises. God's character is merciful. So when we are seeking help and we are going to depend on God, the first thing you need to keep in your mind is the character of the God that you are depending on. And his character is merciful. Because when we realize how helpless we are, how stuck we are, especially spiritually, when we realize how sinful we are, you know what our instinct is, is our human nature, is to feel ashamed of that. What's wrong with me? We say to ourselves, and we want to run and hide, but God is not like us. We don't respond great to each other's weaknesses all the time, but God is not like us. God is merciful. Listen to this description of Jesus. A bruised reed he will not break. A faintly burning wick he will not quench. And some of us feel that way today. We feel bruised. We feel like our flame is barely alive. 
And Jesus is saying, I am not the kind of person that's going to make that worse. I want you to come to me in those moments because my posture is compassion. That's why he was born the way he was, in a manger, in swaddling cloths even. Everything about his life was to invite the weak and the lame and the hurting and the fearful. Not the strong, not the prideful. And nothing says that more than the cry, not only of his birth, but his blood shed for us. Hebrews says that his blood speaks a better word. It's the sprinkled blood, meaning the sacrifice has been made. The wrath of God has been appeased. No fear needs to come into our minds, but only perfect love casting out fear. That is how God wants us to come to him in the midst of our trials, in the midst of our need for help. All that we're longing for, all that we're hoping for, God is saying, I am compassionate. But not just compassionate, not only his character, but also his faithfulness to his promises. I want to close with this verse. It's a theme verse. Uh, it's a, it's, a, it's a, a theme verse of this series besides the Magnificat. I've read it before. It's one that's been speaking to me lately. It says, after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. God is saying, I know you are suffering in this life for a little while. But God is saying, I'm playing the long game with you. I'm getting you ready for glory. I'm preparing you for heaven. And so you're going to have to walk through this, but I'm going to bring you through it. That's his promise. He's promised that, and he's given you his own son as a down payment, his Holy Spirit in you as a down payment for this. God knows we are vulnerable like a baby. He knows we are like that baby, completely helpless. But today, God wants to wrap you in the swaddling cloths of his character of mercy and his promises. He wants you to feel that, that he is the God of all grace. Only grace for you. And the promise of eternal glory. So how can we apply this to our lives? What do we have to do in response to this? We live in dependence on God's help when first, instead of beating ourselves up over our failures, we see them as opportunities to depend on God's grace for help. Number two, instead of running from God or others out of shame, we let God swaddle us with compassion and his promises. And third, I'd say instead of having a posture of complaining, we take on a posture of compassion towards others and their weaknesses and failures, including the church. Now, compassion doesn't mean we just let it go. Compassion is this moving towards the problem, but with a desire to help. So instead of complaining and judging, if we're depending on God's grace and we realize we all need that, that should cause us to have a spirit of compassion for others, people's weaknesses and failures. And lastly, I believe we are depending on God's help when, when we live in a spirit of thankfulness. 
when we're actually seeing and recognizing the way God has helped us, when we're seeing the way that God's grace is working in our life, and we can be thankful for all that he is doing. So if you're depending on yourself, you may have a lot of anxiety and you may be struggling with things, but if you can be depending on God's grace, a fruit of that is there still might be stress and anxiety. I'm not saying that all goes away, but there's going to start being a an undercurrent of thankfulness no matter what is happening. So we're going to respond to this message today. And uh, we're going to do communion, but we're also going to invite you up to prayer. And so some, sometimes we do something called a New Year's resolution. Like I remember one year, my New Year's resolution was I was going to do 100 straight push-ups. And I didn't get there. I got to 50. It's not bad. But... New Year's resolutions are, are I, I don't have, anything, I have a problem with them, but they can be, they kind of can be like, I'm going to pull myself up by my bootstraps, I'm going to do this, you know, and, and I'm, I have a few I'm going to make. But actually, I want to do a twist on it. Instead of, where am I going to be strong this next year? Maybe ask this question, where am I going to be weak? Where am I going to acknowledge and admit and lean on God and others for help? What if that was your New Year's resolution? So I want to invite you to think about that as John's going to come up and do communion. This coming year, where do you need help? What are the material circumstances and trials you're struggling in? Things from external, outside pressing on you. What are the spiritual condition trials that you're in? Maybe what about God's character or promises are you struggling to believe? I tried to help us see that God wants to swaddle us in those, but maybe you're resisting it. Which one of those are you struggling with? Come and receive prayer for that. Where do you need to complain less and show compassion more? And what are you thankful for? I recommend if you can think of a few things, come up and say it to somebody and pray together over those things. So let me pray. Lord, um, I pray you would take this message um, and bear fruit with it in our lives, Lord. The fruit of us as a church, us as your people, learning to depend on you the way that Jesus came and depended on you utterly, even while on the cross, even while by surrounded by enemies and abandoned, he trusted his spirit to you. And Lord, you uh, resurrected him to new life, Lord. And you now have that same power at work in us, those same promises, Lord. We may feel surrounded, we may feel alone, Lord, but help us to cast our spirit on you. Even if some of our trials are because of our own struggles, our own mistakes, our own character issues, Lord, would we cry out to you in dependence, Lord, knowing that that is itself is a beautiful fruit, that that itself is what you are conforming us to, to be like Jesus and Lord, that you will work in and through that posture. Lord, would you help us in the things that we need help as a church? The hard things, the things that are coming up, the trials we'll be facing. Would we be a church that, faces, that, that comes together in humble dependence on you? That we would abide in you and trust in your power to bring resolution and help. Just as you did to your servant Israel. I pray this in Christ's name.